All right, what's up, everybody? We're back with another edition of Casey Music Talk. Uh, my guest today is a piano player, band leader, and musician here in Kansas City. Eddie Moore, how you doing? I'm good. Dude, thanks for being here, man. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I think I met you. It might have been at Mike's Tavern a long time ago. Do you remember that little jam yeah. you guys had for the yeah. UMKC guy? Is this yeah. pre-renovation? Of Maybe, like? yeah, okay. yeah. I, this would have been okay. five years ago or something, at least, yeah. you know, eight years ago. But uh, but definitely, um, definitely, I've really enjoyed your playing, uh, especially recently. Now that you now that you've started your kind of own thing here in the last sure. couple of years, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, a lot of people in town, at least, especially in the jazz scene, you know, have met you and know you, but a lot of a lot of them might not know kind of how you got started playing. Tell tell me about that. Um, I guess my introduction to the piano is through my parents, which is probably like a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was uh, extremely successful vocalist. We're from L.A. area, mm-hmm. and um, just started me on piano lessons. You know, she's a vocalist, so mm-hmm. it's like. That kind of thing, like, well, if I start my son in piano, then maybe I'll have an accompanist. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I grew up in a musical household, took uh, traditional classical lessons, you know, really young. And um, I think right about like, at the end of high school, I got really interested in jazz. I was already like switching over and doing some marching stuff mm-hmm. and doing that thing growing up in Houston. And I um, was listening to a lot of neo soul and hip hop. With the classical background and being like, oh man, this is incredible music. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's mm-hmm. jazz influenced. Right. And so um, I originally wanted to be a producer. Mm. And so I wanted to hone in on my skills and I knew jazz would get me there. And so I went to college to pursue, you know, being a jazz major with that in mind and mm-hmm. totally got off track. <laughs> like, yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, in yeah, a good yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, um, it opened up a whole new world for me, you know. Um, never really played with people and so when I got to college I just had to like learn how to play piano all over mm-hmm. again. you know jazz was a completely different thing and I never really like improvised not mm-hmm. alone played with people right and so um it was it was great it was really eye-opening yeah that's cool man that's interesting and man a friend of mine in Wichita he did piano forever and it was always alone as well. Yeah. You know, he, he'd never yeah. played in groups before and us in orchestra, like that's all, well, private lessons, we always play by ourselves, but in general, we always play in groups. So it was, right. was that kind of a really weird thing going from the group? It was a little thing? weird, you know, I mean, cause the role is different. And so like, you know, switching over from like a classical background and, you know, not having a lot of like direction in jazz early on, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even the way you look at the music, it's like now you're reading chord changes with mm-hmm. these symbols that you have to memorize and mm-hmm. you know even though you're playing what's technically in the chord it doesn't sound right mm-hmm. because you don't have the right voicing so you have yeah. to know these these things that aren't on the paper and mm-hmm. coming from the classical background like everything's on the paper mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know you get to the improv you know the part where you improvise or solo and everyone's just like well play what you want to play but it's not really playing what I mean, you're playing what you want to play, but there's definitely a lot more to that. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of, like, working it out and knowing what fits. And then you can kind of step out and have the freedom. Right. And so just getting used to that, it took a, a while, which I'm sure it, it's the same for, you know, everyone that starts the jazz. I just kind of got mm. started really late. Yeah. It wasn't one of those due to, like, audition for college and a jazz and, like, was playing confirmation and, like, 
you know, right. all these tunes. Like, I was, like, dreaming of playing that <laughs> stuff. And it was, like, probably till my junior year mm. where I'd had a handle on, you know, jazz enough to, like, play those songs and have the chords and have done enough listening and homework. Mm. So a little bit of a late bloomer. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, that that's really always funny because for me coming from classical as well and but sort of understand like we're both at that situation now where we totally understand yeah. at least mentally what's going on when people are on stage playing this jazz right. stuff but it's always funny when the people that have all have a lot of theory in their head where, where they've played some Rachmaninoff and crap I mean they, they've got some talent I mean they've right. done chord you know they've done millions of chords but it's funny when you already have sort of the technique to play, right. but there you're you're so used to not making any decisions, right? Right, is what you got to do in jazz. Well, you don't have to make any damn decisions. Mm -mm. It, your accent is here, and it's this quarter note there, and except you know, right? Like so, was that decision making thing like? Were, were you typically really heavy ear or reading or? Man, my ear was actually pretty bad. Mm. You know, um, and I remember like. What really got me interested into it is like, I was in high school and I was listening to Jill Scott really heavily, and um, it's like third or fourth track where she's doing this poem on who is Jill Scott album, which is like one of my favorites, and it's like I was listening and trying to figure that out because we had lunch and at lunch you could go, I mean well people were going at lunch, but like you could go and kind of run the school at lunchtime, so I stayed in the band room, mm -hmm, you know? yeah, yeah, and um, I spent hours trying to figure that out. And I knew it was only like three chords, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to hear that, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. so um, my ear wasn't really good. It was all reading, mm -hmm. you know? And um, as I got better at it and as I just started to like have more patience and trans what we call transcribe, mm -hmm. but just learning songs by ear, mm -hmm. um, it took a minute and it was very frustrating because yeah. like no one teaches, I didn't have anyone to be like, oh dude, like listen to the bass, mm -hmm. then try to figure out the chord. You know, and then go about it like that. You know, I'm just trying to, like, hear what's going on. And so the decision-making, you know, that's the thing about classical. As we get older and we study, like, you know, you go to the college regime and you take music history and you do all that. You realize that, like, a lot of these great classical musicians and pianists were great improvisers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of their pieces are um, contrived by, like, improvising and then later written down. Yep. But, like, in the system now, like, took classical lessons more than half my life and no one ever taught me how to improvise no one ever talked yeah. about it and so like you say like someone like that can play Rachmaninoff has all this great technique and is playing all these chords but in actuality very few of them probably know what chords they're playing mm -hmm. very few of them actually take the time to like beside know what key they're in like know how these chords fit together to make cool progressions you're right so like the decision making like you don't even know what you're doing right. at least i didn't and i took i could play you mm -hmm. know um i did you know just because i went to college doesn't mean like i didn't study classical still i was actually pretty angry that i had to mm -hmm. fill those requirements right. and so i didn't know I didn't know, you know. Well, you, well, they don't need to know. They don't need to know. They don't need to know. They don't need to know that no. this is a thirteenth and whatever. I mean, they no. just went and you you line it up and you're you're on second beat of measure, blah blah blah, and right. with the rest of the orchestra, you just play your F sharp and then you're good. And I think the yeah, ones you know. that do know and take the extra time to figure it out and like mess with those, you know, those cadential things mm -hmm. are the really great classical or mm -hmm. just really great musicians yeah. in general. Um, I also learned that like 
man, I was bummed that I never really grew up playing in church mm. because I was on the opposite end of that. Like I was, you know, in big band, not able to play, but because I could read, I was like sitting over a, a church guy's shoulder and like kind of helping him decipher the music, but like looking down at his hands and listening to like the decisions he was making. Mm-hmm. And then I would, I kind of just learned how to play jazz piano like that. Yeah, that's like funny. this says C minor seven. He's playing this. Why is there a D and an F there? Right. Sounds really cool, but mm-hmm. it's not making sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, but it just sounded right to him. Right. And so I kind of just started putting that together, and um, it was very interesting. Actually, yeah. it was very interesting. That's a huge thing because I, I had a bunch of friends of mine in Wichita that we all were in kind of jam band kind of you know fish right. kind of bands, and they were all. You know, you could tell that they were talented, and when somebody would give them like a seven eight, they're all over it. You know, right. I mean, like rhythm wise and chord wise. But I, I would venture to say that a lot of them didn't know what they were doing. They yeah. had the ear, and it they could the just ear. do it. And you know, definitely odd meter stuff just blew me away. Like right. I was pretty good with odd meter too, but they would do rock riffs and these crazy, right. and they they followed it like no right. problem. But a lot of them were like they'd go up and do this guitar chord. They don't know what the hell that chord is, uh, you know, it's a ninth. But their ears making is allowing yeah. them to make these decisions that just feel real natural, mm-hmm. which is like, I guess at the end of the day, like when I teach, I mean, I almost lean that way. That's mm-hmm. what you want. Yeah. It's like if your ear is making these decisions that like sound cool and are justified because they sound cool, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can go the extra mile and, like, say, like, oh, this is what I did, I know I can do this, mm-hmm. then, like, man, then the sky is the limit. Right. But if the ear is there, I know well, you that's... don't really need anything. Yeah, so, and then, so, you, you just mentioned college a minute ago, so, like, I know for me, because I, I started really young, and I had a long time where I was in that camp where I could just do it, and I didn't really understand what I was doing, and I mm-hmm. was just and play but when I got to college that's the big thing thing that I learned from college is what the hell am I doing oh this is a C minor you know diminished blah 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 chord and the and the reason why Beethoven did this was because of the air and the bows and that you know I learned all this knowledge so now my I feel like my brain like my playing ability was way past where my brain was but now it's like totally the opposite like my brain understands it but I can't do it yet like jazz is a great example you know, I totally get what they're doing, but I just, I can't do Cherokee at 300, you know, I just can't do it, you know, it's right. like, I get it, I, you know, but so when you were at college, like, let's kind of maybe start with the, the good first, like, what, what was, the, did you have a huge eye-opening experience at college, or how, how was the, like, the music department specifically? Um, I don't know, I think my college experience was, like, really different from a lot of the guys that I've met recent, like, you know, because I'm in Kansas City now, I grew up in Houston. I went to a smaller college that had a small music program, mm-hmm. and the jazz program was fairly new. Mm-hmm. Um, while the school, you know, I went to Texas Southern in the school in the neighborhood has this great history of music and musicians coming from there. Um, it was just a really, you know, there wasn't a lot of jazz direction. Mm-hmm. There, I didn't yeah. have like a jazz applied piano teacher just because the program in the school they just didn't have it, and know. the environment they just didn't have it which yeah. might be the case for some some people mm. and so i think the most eye-opening thing to me was just like seeing how great my peers were mm. like for the first three years of you know my jazz experience it wasn't 
having a teacher and listening and transcribing so much, it was a lot of listening, but it was learning from the people around me because they had it, mm-hmm. you know, um, they just, they just had it. And a lot of those guys were great church musicians who like now we're older, have like Grammy, Stella awards, mm-hmm. you know, ASCAP awards, like they're amazing musicians and I still look up to them. So I got the opportunity to learn from like real guys that were doing it. Mm-hmm. I think they were just in the classes I was in because like they're bored in the daytime or they just wanted the theory, mm-hmm. you know, that right. we were there for like opposite reasons. Yeah. And so um, that was a lot of my experience and yeah. going to jam sessions and hearing how it was done and seeing how it was done and a lot of looking over people's shoulders and deciphering it and making sense for me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, opposed to like the super collegiate thing of like, you know, when you go to Berkeley, that's not the case mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. You know, you have a teacher. It's really hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's really hardcore. And I, I just kind of like had this freeform thing. Um, I think it, you know, I think there's pros and cons to that, that personally for me. Um, but now that I'm older, I credit like me having my sound to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of just had this theoretical thing that I thought would work, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like approaching the improvisation and that kind of developed my own sound and my own decisions and habits and stuff like that. You, you mean know? approaching it like that you you didn't, it, it wasn't just structured like crazy for you yeah. and that's what made your sound is that you just came at it kind of ha- haphazard? Right, or well yeah. I just kind of came at it to like what made sense to me first. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you that's know, I love theory and stuff so I said, okay, well these chords are going by at some point, if I know what fits over them color-wise or a mm-hmm. system, like combination of colors that fits over these chords, then I can choose which ones I want to play. Yeah. If I know them better, then I could just play them as they go by mm-hmm. and make those decisions. And yes. it worked, but then you know, you're know you neglecting like phrasing and these other things you get from transcribing mm-hmm. that really yeah. help you put together uh, in, you know, so, a solo in a story when you're improvising. Mm-hmm. So by the time I graduated, like I could play through, you know, I mean, like it was mm-hmm. kind of put together, but yeah, because I had lacked a couple of things, it still needed work. Oh, sure. You know? And, and that, that's an interesting because like my, my thing with learning improv was doing a lot of, in, in this rock band that I was playing in and these guys were doing jammy fish kind of stuff. So it was very improvised. Um, but it wasn't quite as many changes as a Cherokee or some right, of the jazz right. stuff, but it was still like heavy improvisation. But, and because of how much ear I had it at the beginning, I didn't even sight read till like 10 and I'd started three, you know? So it's right. like I had six years of ear before. Right. And so when I, the way I learned improv, it was a very specific way because I had listened to so much music. Well, when I'm with my students, I want to do what you just said of give them, give it to them very structured. Right. And I, but what's hilarious is that that's not even the way that I learned because right. I did at least improv wise, I didn't learn improv structured at all. I learned right. music structured, but not improv. And so like the way I want to teach them is not the way that like hardly anybody learns how to do improv, but I wanted I want to teach them the way that I learned, but I can't because they're not listening to near as much music as I was, and they exactly. don't have the ear, and they all they have is sight reading, and right. like so I, I don't know like how to deal with that really, you know, because right. uh, because I think you're absolutely right that 
if, if I just tell them, then it's a bunch of little Robs running around. Right. And it's not, a, it's not Billy, you know, doing right. Billy over Cherokee. It's Billy doing Rob over Cherokee. You know, he's right, doing right. the teacher over Cherokee instead of his own voice, his own. And like, right. I don't know how to deal with that except for that they'd have to go through something similar to what I did, at least with like listening constantly. Right. I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, um, I think one of the most eye-opening moments for me as a jazz like as a jazz pianist was like really learning the solo from Wynn Kelly on Freddie Freeloader mm-hmm. you know like man that did wonders like all across the board like I learned how to like actually play dominant chords mm-hmm. by listening to how he was voicing them you know and I really learned how to comp by like how he was playing and then his I think even to the, this day like that's one of the most masterful solos mm-hmm. it's definitely up there i mean it's so singable it's so well put together you know and the way that he develops his solo and i just like learned that especially over a blues you know and it's not at the super burning tempo or anything and so like i really learned that solo and dug deep and like picked it apart like um that made a lot of sense to me you know mm-hmm. and a lot of things started to make sense to me that like just didn't before that so like I think even when I'm teaching, you know, I start off with like telling them and like, hey, we're playing over dominant chords or a dominant chord. Mm-hmm. This is what I want you to play. And mm-hmm. it's usually minor pentatonic. It's never right. blue scale. Mm-hmm. It's just right. like straight up minor pentatonic. And I just kind of set up an exercise for them to get used to hearing that sound yeah. and kind of guiding them to like what to do like you when you want to see your target note so you can know where to resolve here's where they are they're in the chord Mm -hmm. here's this color we're just gonna mess with this one color for right now and then at the end of our lesson i'm gonna give them a listening reference and say okay try to pick out this color in the solo and learn a piece of language in this one color so then i might say go listen to freddie freeloader pick out some minor pentatonic pieces that he's playing over dominant chords Mm. i start to really i think you know because that's one side of improvisation but then you have to address two five ones Mm -hmm. and when you address the two five ones i think that's when the structure comes in Mm. you know so i i actually am a little more structured when it comes to that side because you know now you have to see where you're going and guide tones through these three changes to the resolve point and as they're moving through the piece so i start to become more structured with that to get it under their fingers yeah but then it's always like you know backed up by like okay well now go listen to this right try to pick out a piece of language or see what he's doing through these two five changes yeah listen to just the two five changes in the piece and like try to grab something like that so then like they're getting what they could do in the theoretical side but the their ear is really developing their style. Sure. I don't ever like write down my personal licks or things that right. work for me yeah. for them to play. See, that's a good balance. I think that what you're doing, because you're because because it is our job to show them. It's right. our job to show them what Miles, what what even me or what all of these greats did. Right. But you know, don't just jack their shit. You know, I mean, you no, gotta right. you gotta you gotta take something from them. But then 
at so and and you were talking a little bit about the kind of micro macro kind of a thing where you have like your little riff that you use, but then you have this whole two five one thing yeah. where you put it more in a macro, you know, more in, in context. Right. And and I, and I like you obviously given uh, given examples, you know, given right. break reloader so they can so okay yeah we're doing these stupid little riffs but. This is what happens when you throw it in Freddy Freeloader. And, yeah, yeah, but I mean, when you even listen to that solo and how he's playing over the dominant chords, because in the changes, they're not doing, they're doing a 5-4 turnaround to like mm. this dominant, you know, it goes to the dominant 7 of the key. So he's not playing a bunch of 2-5 bebop language. So you get a lot of like really like hardcore blues stuff, I feel. Mm -hmm. And you hear how like, you ask yourself, like, how does Sharp 11, stuff like that, fit over these dominant chords? Because he's right. doing that really great. Right. You know, and even Miles is landing on these, and then you mm -hmm. hear Wenton comping and reacting to that. Right. So that's a really, I think that's, a like, a really great example of, like, a lot of the possibilities that you could play over blues. You know, you're talking about 1959. You know, that album is a pivotal album for right. how they even created it and how they're playing together as a whole, mm -hmm. you know. And so, um... I think, you know, listening to that, because the way that you're, there's several ways to play through two fives, but, you know, we, I just talk about the different ways they can. Mm. And when I address playing through two fives, it's like, you're not going to play through standalone dominant chords, say the mm. same that we're going to yeah. play through these. You can, but is that going to be our start? No. Mm. You know, so I like to associate colors and as we get deeper into that, kind of spending time on one chord cause, I mean I'm on piano mm -hmm. so like one chord and saying these colors fit you know and giving examples of that um there are a lot of different ways to yeah. really go about it sure. uh, I think listening and picking things up off the record are is the most important like no matter what you do if you don't have a teacher and you just go to the record and learn from those you're gonna be pretty killing. Yeah, it's pretty you know? huge. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. Just have the patience to do it. Mm -hmm. It's gonna take a minute, but I guarantee you, you will get to your goal mm -hmm. if you can do yeah. that. You yeah. know, um, I think that is key above everything. Yeah, like, that's screw going to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you so, know, just so, do that if you can do that. Yeah. Then so, you're, so, you're spe fine, so speaking you know? of college, so so like I know for myself, the. The music training that I got specifically on playing was great. You know, I mean, they had tons of classes. They told me all this stuff that I didn't know before. You know, right. for me at Wichita State, it was great. But I always was annoyed when I got out to bands and stuff. Is and I've said this on on our show a lot. Is that when I got out and I'm like, wait, what the heck am I gonna say to this club owner? But I don't know how to do this, right. you know, it, it, and it, my dad even did that to me one time. He's like, so how much did you make last year? And I was like, uh, right. I don't know, because I didn't write it down. You know, it's all the businessy side of stuff. And when I got out, I was like, crap, I don't know what to do when I'm on stage, like talking to an audience. Uh, thanks for coming. And that's all I got. You know, it's like, I don't know how to talk to an audience. I don't know right. how to talk to a club owner. I don't know how to. I know how to do a spreadsheet, but I didn't even think to like keep track of all my crap and organize it in. Right. So like, that was the thing for me that I wish would 
I wish in colleges that they would do more in our music degree is like t teach us about that kind of stuff. And right. did uh, did you get a sense of that when you were, came back out that there's a lot of like business side of how do you advertise for your band? Yeah, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff was like this is actually <laughs> what I need. I am at least like country wise or whatever. I'm like beyond qualified to play in this band playing wise. But boy, business side. I'm I'm doing. Do, do yeah. you find that to be tough or? Um, I mean, yeah. The business. I mean, when I mean, we're talking about when I was in school. You know, was a while back. Mm. Now, you know, you're um, old. Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> That's basically what we're saying. Is I'm, I'm old, getting old. I'm old and so, um, when I was in school, I definitely didn't get any. You know, you take business and music, but you know, um, in the undergrad, it wasn't very strong. And like I said, I came from a small program, so it was, it was very weak. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to grad school, um, the grad program wasn't set up for you to really take business and music. Although I learned a lot from, you know, private study and just being on the scene. Yeah. Um, I know every program in the country is different, so depending on where you go, they might have all that right. and like tell you. It, I know, and you know, not to be hard on schools because it's hard to keep up with where the business and music is just going and keep track. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. You can't, what was kosher last year in your program, several things have changed this year. And, you know, the business of music is, A, changing with the age of technology. So what worked Ten for... Ten years ago, internet wasn't hardly even right. big, and now it's, you know... Right, right. and it's changed yeah. every aspect of it, from yeah. marketing to booking to... Mm -hmm to putting music out to mm -hmm. doing oh, every, yeah. like every aspect of music has changed mm -hmm. because of technology and society has looked at music differently so now we've had to readjust um maybe there's there are some schools in the country i think maybe are doing a good part of mm -hmm. keeping track of that but as a musician i think that there are several books that are outside of school or different sources that yeah. you can catch and read about you know social media marketing for your sure. group or the DIY musician or getting on these podcasts where it's like their information's out there. Oh, yeah. School might not be doing a great job of keeping up with it yeah. because it's just moving too fast for them to like use this book. This is yeah. out of this textbook. It's like, you know, but a lot of that is up to the musician for hands on. So like I learned the business of music by like being in bands and just being in, in a lot of research and just being really open-minded to like things changing. Mm. You know, you can take two approaches to business and music. Like now you could fight the system and be mad that it's not working the way it is, mm. or you can accept it mm -hmm. and play the game and try to see where it, and anticipate where it's going so that you can win. Yeah. Right. You know, like, and then you got to think like which one of these personalities is going to be successful. Because you can be stubborn and stay here and it's going to pass you by mm. and you will be irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Or you can be here and like be like, oh, this is like a cool thing. I don't really like this. But if I do this, then it might get me here, you know. And so I've seen it with, you know, the older bands that I play in where, you know, you release an album and you can't you're not thinking in the digital realm. So like you have all these copies of your CD and why it sounds great or it's here like because you're not available online or you have no online presence. Do you don't matter. Right. Yeah. I know that sounds silly, but like, yo, yeah. you really don't matter. Right. You don't matter. Why? I can't Google you. Mm. Why? Because I can't go to somewhere and hear that music digitally. Shoot. I plug my phone up to my car. It doesn't even have a CD player. I can't get you on Spotify or Apple Music mm, or yeah. Amazon. Yeah. 
That's yeah. Why does it matter that you have a physical CD? It doesn't. Right. <laughs> you, it's you it's know, great like, for nostalgia, but but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and when it comes to like the whole, I think the whole booking thing and being a band leader is just trial and error, man. I think mentorship is a big part of that. I was very lucky that I got to, you know, mentor under some guys like and like spend time with some band leaders and see how they do things that were successful. Mm-hmm. And then you you just got to step out there on a limb. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You just need to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. And I think once you find what works for you, you just get better at it. You know, um, one of the things that like me and my homie Dominique talk about is just like your network. Your network is your network. If you don't have a network, you're not worth anything. Mm-hmm. But if your network is super huge and like, or let's say your network is super huge and you're not like tapping into it. You, what? You're missing out. You're missing, yeah, 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 like yeah. if you're not tapping into your net, it's, that's what it's all about. And I mean, I'm not perfect at it. Like I'm always finding better ways to tap into my network because we can do things for each other. Mm-hmm. Like... And then you want to bring them, you know, your network, you want them to be rocking with you. And so I think that's a big part of, you know, just even being a band leader or having a product or wanting to put out because it's like you have to have a network, Mm -hmm. you know, and then being able to tap into that network comfortably to get what you need and to get the other people what they need because they're going to tap you too. You know, Mm -hmm. they're going to plug you. Hey, I got this coming out or hey, man, I need this show or hey, I'm out of town. Can we da da or whatever? Right. You know, a lot of times when we're touring, it's not, you know, how to, you, you said like how to talk to a, a club owner and it's like, okay, so we're setting up a tour. You have two options. You can either email the club owner cold because you never met him mm-hmm. and you can email him and send him your press kit and do that spiel. Or you could reach out to a band that's like yours in the area and just set up a show with them. Yeah. Because I mean, if you play in another city that you've never been without support who are you gonna draw yeah right how are you gonna draw them you yeah, know, you're not you're not <laughs> yeah. yeah the answer is you're just right. basically yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah and if that wasn't true then like yo i think the last <laughs> national artist that i saw was little dragon we just went to a little dragon concert they had an opener yeah every i mean we saw um the last one before that i saw thundercat opener mm-hmm Last one, every every group that you see has an opener. From yeah. the biggest artist to the smallest artist, they have an opener for that reason. Yeah. You said something interesting a minute ago about back to the colleges kind of stuff, and that, that happens a lot, and there's probably a, a way bigger, like even, even political meaning in this, where you're saying, like, the colleges aren't doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to get mad because they're not doing X, Y, and Z, but then you can just get a book. You, you just go, get a book. You, you go talk to a Lonnie McFadden or, yeah. or an Everett Freeman or somebody yeah. out in the world who's the your world. mentor or whatever. And, and that that's like a totally legitimate response to, I don't know something. Like, go figure, right. go figure it out instead of like bitching how everybody else is right. providing for you. That's There's a whole nother, right. you know, there's a whole nother political meaning in there of, of wanting everybody else to fix your crap for you a little right. bit. But uh I, and you you also talked about mentors a little bit and you know when when I got into town uh, my my parents knew Lonnie really well they'd gone to his shows forever and he he came out for you know twice with me 
at Panera and we sat for two hours and just talked about like leading a band and right. like different stuff and he, he told me all sorts of good stuff, you know. Right. Get my head into reality, quit wishing, quit wishing the bar owners were X, Y, and Z and yeah. then go adjust yourself to what they actually are and you're gonna be way you know, just stuff right. like that he was telling me that was like extremely helpful and I'm sure you've got yeah, a man. ton of people. Um and you're like, oh man, as a young musician you're like, well you know, like how can I I mean how can I get this person to mentor me? I mean, most of us older musicians, like, we want to do that because I think the um, longevity of our art form, whatever you want to call it, the longevity of our art form is through community. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not through college. You know, it's through community. So, like, you build relationships with people. You know, mm -hmm. like, there's been times where you talk about networking, like, man, like, I've snuck backstage to concerts and like to have a conversation with this dude I madly looked up to. I'm helping him walk to his car by holding his books, grabbing the stuff that he needs, and we're having a conversation onto the to the car because that's the only time you're gonna get. Yeah. But they're willing to do you know they're willing to do these things and you're getting little nuggets of knowledge. And if you just like, you know, you'd be like, oh man, that's crazy. I mean, but that's the culture of our music, because I mean, I'm only doing that because I know that guys have done that for years. Right. And, you know, we, college isn't the answer to everything. Right. It's just really there to to teach you how to play if that's what you need. Because at that time, I needed That's the only reason yeah. I went to college. I was trying to learn how to play. Mm -hmm. I ran into guys in college who already knew how to play. And they were killing that game. But I needed to learn how to play. Mm -hmm. So I went to college. Yeah. Bottom line. Right. The degree actually doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them do. Well, lots of people get out and they can't play a jazz show. Yeah, they have you a know, jazz degree. You know, it's like I, th but, yeah. I think the bigger thing about college, the lessons that will really get you to the points in life where you want to be are college is highly about networking mm -hmm. and building relationships because you're in this environment where everyone's here for kind of the same reason. Mm -hmm. So that's a more important than your grades yeah you know like make good grades all that crap but like networking and like you know the experience of like how college teaches you to hunt down information mm -hmm. they're not there for the answers but they also teach you how to use the library so it's like go find the book that you need go read it so you can do it so you not, can not, yeah not, so you can do it it's fed to you right? there's no that class you can and have just the skills to go look yourself you right know, yeah and, you know, we talk about, oh, well, the great, man, I think the business, when I did take business and music, I think because me and that teacher really didn't get along, I think he gave me a D. <laughs> I have a D in, you know, business mm -hmm. and music. But clearly, that doesn't matter. But you run your own band now, and it's going great, so how bad are you at the business of music? Well, yeah. eh, not, not so and bad. And that same guy, that, you, you know, know, I mean, and I'm not mad at him, but, like, yeah. yo, that same guy is like, got on forums and, like, purchased music. So it does, like that doesn't. I sure, just say yeah, that to say yeah. that doesn't matter. Like none of that stuff matters. Like so, so. moving subjects with with your band. Was there anything that was kind of tough, like just starting out making your band? Because all of us, all of us are players for a while, and right. then we kind of start our own thing. And definitely, when I started my little rock band a couple years ago, there was a lot of stuff that I just. I've already mentioned them, you know, how do I advertise? How do I talk to this owner? How, you know, uh, was there anything that was kind of interesting or the, what, what was the most annoying thing about starting your band? Was there one thing that was like, I think, I don't, I mean, and everyone starts their band differently. I think the way that I got into just being a band leader was like, 
almost a little bit forced maybe. Mm. And so the thing that's most annoying to me probably isn't the most annoying to some people. And that's just like finding dudes that are willing to put in the work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I preface that with saying what I did because it's like, if you got into starting a band in a more natural environment, you really wouldn't run into that because the guys are already there yeah, that yeah, want to yeah. be in the band. Yeah, right. You know, sure. so mm-hmm. I ran into that problem on um, just finding guys that wanted to put in the time to learn the music the way that I think it deserved to sound. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been, I mean, and I, that's going to constantly, you know, you're never going to have the same guys. But yeah. Right. Very few bands mm-hmm. have the same guys. And that was a hard concept for me. Mm-hmm. to accept especially being young you know because i guess i was looking at my mentors and kind of the guys i look up to and they did it mm-hmm. for the most part and they were like super tight so i felt like that was a reality but that was the most annoying thing i just didn't understand that mm-hmm. you know and it it's plagued me maybe everybody still you know well that's a really good point because like you know in when I did Rob Foster and Dudes, our little jam band, but, uh, you know, DeAndre played for a bit, Dominique played, Brad played, and, like, and the the thing that was frustrating for me is that, obviously, these guys are, like, out-of-control players, you know, they're really good, but I I had to accept the fact that, in and this is sort of going into Kansas City scene, is that, you know, it's just unfortunate that everybody has to, it, we feel like everybody has to be in five bands, you know, and, or they're in two bands, but they're subbing for, you know, Brad, Brad subs with everybody, you know, and, and so, and that's great for him, you know, because right. he can, he can, they call him Friday night for a Saturday gig and he shows up and just kills it, you know, right. and, but that that's one thing that I had to kind of accept that this thing that we're getting, you know, that I'm, I'm making sure to get them, you know, 60 to 75 a gig or something. And we're playing for not really that many people. And I just had to accept that I'm never, this thing is probably never going to be on their priority level. You know, it, I mean, when DeAndre's playing with like jazz disciples and then, and then my, right. you know, pitiful band, you know, so I just had to kind of accept that, you know, and, and this wasn't, this wasn't on them. This is just on the, the right. scene. It's, it's just, you know, it's, what just it is, it's you know? a catch 22 situation because like, you know, I'm a sideman too. Mm-hmm. So like I'm in the same position and, um, you know, everyone's got to make their living and do their mm-hmm. thing. And so it's, there's just no way you can, you know, there's no way you can get around that. You, I, I soon learned that like, you just need to have a crew of guys that fit the vibe of your music that are familiar enough with it that can roll with it. Also learn that, you know, the charting thing you need to make learning your music, however difficult or simple it is the easiest that it can be so that if you do have rehearsal, we can get everything in an hour because no one really wants to spend more than an hour and a half. Right. You know, and so I started to get better at that Mm -hmm. and I started to take that into consideration, which has really helped now, you know, but I still kind of feel the same way where it's like, maybe if we all rolled with this and made some sacrifice, not saying they're not, but like made like the sacrifices so that this was really tight and really great, Mm -hmm. then we could be a lot further than we are and I say that because after signing with Ropadope you know for our last project I'm now a part of a community where I see that in other places in America or the country Mm. 
where we're all grown, we all have the same bills or the family or the same thing, but I see these guys do the things that maybe we're not doing and they're on tour constantly and they're blowing up. You know, they're putting out albums faster. It's not just on one guy. They're they're rolling together. I don't see a whole mm -hmm. bunch of subs in the yeah, band because right. I mean the main question for Eddie Moore in Outer Circle is like, well, who's in the group? Who's playing? Right. I saw this guy last week. I saw this dude. Da 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 da. Mm -hmm. Who's who's on the album? And you know, like, I feel like I I've only been able to get so far with that. Right. I'm not the kind of dude that just wants to hire a bunch. Of, it's a vibe. So I I don't know. Maybe I don't have the network to like be out of town and hire subs for the whole band but i also don't want to do that right yeah. I, that's just me right. some guys everyone's different that's me it's kind of my own my own thing and i've settled with it so. you said something about song choices yeah. and i dealt with that in my band because i i wanted to do some odd meter i wanted to do some kind of interesting stuff because i had a deandre and brad i was just like oh my god imagine what we you know we could play some rock tunes that none of these rock bands would even dream of playing you right. know because they don't have the talent i well i've got the talent here to play seven eights and five eights and so, you know well i thought that was interesting that one of the things that I wish I would have done better is out of our, like, for example, our, like, 30, 30 song, 40 song set for four hours or whatever, uh, I picked, like, out of the 30, I picked, like, 20 kind of tough tunes, you know? I mean, not really tough, but tough enough. What I should have done is I should have picked 10, right? And then add 20. And this is one thing that is fun, that I've noticed about Kansas City, especially in the blues scene. This is different than the jazz scene, but the blues scene... Everybody, like you just mentioned, nobody likes to rehearse. And this has always been sort of a jammy kind of a town where everybody just kind of... And the fact that we love people like sitting in and having subs and stuff. Do you find that in Kansas City people lower the... Not, not lower the quality, but lower the song choice for us to... Like in the blue scene, for example, if I pick all 12 bars and then like three or four four chord rock tunes now first of all we don't have to rehearse ever people can just show up to the gig and play the songs and then i can get any sub you know i have these 20 subs that i know and all of them can play this crappy easy music and then we can just go gig forever and do you do you notice that as a, a typical thing in kansas city of course, I mean, and this is—I mean, we say it's a Kansas City thing, but I mean, right. it's not a Kansas City. Right, but I'm it's specifically not just here. Do they do that here? Specifically yeah. here, I think so. I mean, when I first started my band in 2012, 2011-ish, mm -hmm. um, I got that a lot. Yeah, like we were one of the I'm trying to think of like back then, but like we were definitely one of the few bands that were like doing like jazz sets or four-hour sets. Mm. and only wanted to play original music or arrangements. Right. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the band members would be like, why are you wanting to do this? Yeah. Because we could just do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so um, I don't want to say I, I started a culture. I want to say I, don't, I help, you know, because Shades of Jade was there too. And that's mm. very much what they were about. Right. And, um, you know, Chris Hazleton was on the scene doing original mm. stuff and some other guys. And so, you know, like, I think it's come a long way now, but still like, I'll pose the question, like, how often do you go hear jazz? You just hear them play their stuff. Mm -hmm. How often do you hear that? Here, in KC, how often? Wherever you are. You just hear them play their stuff. In their set. You hear their music. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, when I go to hear a Thundercat show, man, I'm not hearing him play covers. No, no. 
we're amazed that a guy like that, oh, he's a jazz musician, is sold out on Tuesday. Yeah, he's playing his stuff. He's promoting his art, his name. And, you know, there are sacrifices that are made when you take that route. You know, and I took those sacrifices back when I started the group and I, I bared with it. Mm-hmm. I did the door gigs. I found guys that wanted to rehearse. Maybe they weren't the best dudes. I'm still very privileged to play with the musicians that I play with regardless. Right. But I got the guys that put in the work, mm-hmm. you know, and I put in the work as a band leader to kind of make it easy for them. And so you do that and it's a sacrifice, but you get way more reward out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that's why like eight years later, we're sitting here. Yeah. You know, now I've been on tour. Mm -hmm. Now I've done countless jazz festivals. Now I've got Charlotte Street, you know, whatever, but it started there. Yeah. And it started with saying, I want to play my music. I'm going to write these songs and we're going to rehearse and play this. And it's going to be fine, you know? And so um, I think when you really sit and make that decision with yourself and stay, like, hard true to that, yeah, man, so many doors open up. Yeah, that, that's, so that's tough because so many, so many people want to do the half and half, right? They, they want to play a lot of covers and then throw their five throughout yeah. the four-hour show. Here's my five tunes, one a right. set or something, you know? Right. And, and they'll kind of go that route and kind of ease it take an ease it in kind of a thing where you, you start doing some of your tunes and then hopefully in the next three years, you know, you'll get to a point where now you're doing 10 or 20 of your right. tunes. But you I know, just, I and mean, like, and it's different for everyone. And I mean, I think people just know my reputation. Like I don't get the wedding band calls mm-hmm. and right. there's nothing wrong with the guys who play wedding yeah, bands. That's totally yeah. cool. Like I'm not discounting that. I'm not passing any judgment, mm-hmm. but like at a time I was floating seven bands that played original music. Right. And I've always been like, you know, when people call me, what do you, what are we playing? I do some cover gigs, mm-hmm. you know, but for the most part, I'm floating bands that play original music, whether that was Various Blonde and the Summer High stuff we were doing, which was all original psych rock, 77 Jefferson, which is all original reggae, you know, Zach Mufasa, all original reggae. Yeah. Uh, Godson and the hip hop dudes, all original hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, Outer Circle, all original jazz music. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Brandon, we just did a show with Brandon, all original yeah, R and B wow. music. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we did a separate set with the hip hop MC that we created that music, all original music. We like mm-hmm. don't play covers. You know, like not that I can't and not that I, I don't a little bit. Yeah, it's not the point, yeah. But that's not the point. Yeah. You know, and so if you can set that up for yourself, I think that's a huge thing. And it's not just Kansas City. I think that's us as musicians. But I think that um, you know, club owners kinda like want that especially like in Houston you mm. know like dude you're not playing original sets anywhere like that right because the club owner's like yo I want to make money mm-hmm. these people want to hear something know. they know right so you want the gig right you know and that's why I think a lot of people that maybe choose that route in a city like Houston yo dude they all live in New York or somewhere else because mm. like we all know like super super killer jazz musicians from Houston Okay, I can tell you, they all don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Jason Moran don't live there. Robert Glasper don't live there. My homie Burnus don't live there. Mm-hmm. You know, but then you ask, well, what are they doing? Okay, well, I don't know if you've heard the R plus R equals now album with mm-hmm. <laughs> Robert and these dudes on it, and it's super killer. Mm-hmm. They're playing their music. Yeah. And yeah, they play some covers, right? but that's not a bulk of yeah. their repertoire. Yeah, that's you know? cool. 
So, like, switching gears here, maybe, maybe the last couple questions. So, I, I've had this problem here recently where I have done all this other kinds of playing. I've done the classical, and now I've been in kind of two or three pretty heavy gig and country bands and done, done quite a few blues jams in town. And that kind of stuff I feel very, very comfortable doing. Going to any blues jam, I just get up there and I'm like, bring it, you know. Any rock tune, I'm just like not scared at all. And... But for me, since I'm so, you, you mentioned about being a little bit of a late bloomer, I'm not a late bloomer playing violin, but jazz-wise, I'm really late, you know, I mean, maybe starting when I got here about eight years ago is when I really started actually doing any kind of jazz. So going down to the blue room, going down to the foundation stuff, you know, I in town, I mean, I've been to probably 300 open jams, but I've probably only been to the blue room maybe five, six times, 10 at the most, same with the foundation. It's because like, and, and I can feel it that I know as jazz guys, we have a pretty high, we, we, we understand etiquette so well that we, we know that I probably, if, if I started playing literally yesterday, maybe I shouldn't get up at the blue room today, tomorrow, you know, it's that maybe I need to kind of have my crap together just a little bit before I go up on the stage. And that is really hurting me right now because I have such a hyper, understanding of that that I need to kind of at least sort of know what I'm doing but all of us know that you got to get up there and suck for a minute you know and all of us understand that even the good players in town they understand they sucked at five jams at, the, at first and then they started getting a little better and a little better and, and so do you do you have any advice for somebody like myself who maybe would have some ability to play jazz but because they're so scared to get up there about the reputation or you know of, of getting up with other people like an Everett Freeman or a DeAndre yourself I mean all these people that are pretty good at you know do you, do you have any advice for those kind of people I mean um they're scared hey, I would say up, like you know? don't overanalyze mm. like it's it's really not that it's not that serious and it's mm. not that hard mm. I think when it when you say like knowing what I'm doing in a jam situation is just like there's like maybe three or four things. It's like know how to address the musicians and like your, say hello to your friends and your peers mm -hmm. if you don't know them. You know, say hey, you know, whatever. My name's Dada. Mm -hmm. Or usually there's a list and you just right. greet them, play the songs you know. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of guys get into a habit of like trying to like, especially horn players. I run a session, so I see this all the time, bro. You ain't got to play every song, every song. You don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Like. Just because you can doesn't mean you need to do that. Play your two songs, sit down. Let somebody else come up, and then it might rotate to you again. So therefore, like, you have two songs that you know that you know what you're doing. And when we say knowing what you're doing, the next thing is, like, knowing the melody, knowing enough to play your solo, knowing enough to, like, know how the song's going to go and be cool with that and to bring it back in wherever it is. And then, like, that's it. Everything else that happens, you don't know. You're not supposed to know what's going to happen. Right. I think the other thing about that is just being cool with whatever does happen. Mm. I'm often, you know, playing where I'm totally an instigator musically where it's like we took some turns that you didn't know and that maybe made you feel a little uncomfortable. So now you feel a certain way about it. Mm. Dude, this is a jam. Mm. Not only that, we're improvising. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So I think that's like, and that might be the most scary thing. Like, what happens if something comes around where I didn't know? Yeah. Man, you're improvising. You better roll with it. Mm -hmm. Roll with it. 
you might stumble upon some real awesome stuff that you didn't even know you were capable of. And so, like, I think if, you know, don't overanalyze it. That's really it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, I mean, other than, if you know that, then, and that's part of learning the tune, then it's just really going to, like, do its, like, play itself. You know, but I think you can stay out of, like, getting super, I mean, the biggest fear for me personally out of jam is, like, getting at a, getting in a jam, playing, sitting behind piano, and a whole bunch of dudes call songs that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's number one for me. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. and that's a personal thing on me, like, yeah. learn more tunes, dude. Right. Which is a right. thing that, you know, we're always constantly doing, that's a lifelong thing. Right. But if I don't know the song, man, I'm just like, hey, uh, yeah. someone else can play this, I'm going to play the next one. I'm gonna call something that so I know. you got, so maybe because that's that's the number one for me because I I've I've got probably forty to sixty tunes that I could play I could play a four hour jazz show if I got to call the tunes right, you know and right, I, right. I could do that I've done Green Lady shows with a jazz duo guitar and violin you know but I'm nervous when they call confirmation I don't know you know I've heard that then song just a don't, lot then just don't play it yeah I guess maybe just step off stage yeah or just something step off and, and, and you know there's yeah. nothing wrong with that like there's yeah. you know just step off let somebody else play it. And then get up and call the ones you do. Now, like if you go to if you frequent a session and you know that they call sort of the same amount of tunes, then you know do your due diligence and learn those. And may, and maybe like I'm looking at I, with this idea, I'm looking at it more day to day. And I already know this, but I need to be reminded of this all the time. I need to look more more laterally, like you said. Well, tonight, yeah, you you fumbled through all the things you are, and you didn't know the song, and whatever, you know. You go home and learn it. And I think this is another thing that I want to talk to you about is that I think you and I were in the same same idea where there's all of these people like the the Dominiques, Andrew Oletts, you know, all these guys that were 20-ish about eight years ago, and now all of us are, you know, kind of, you know... Approaching 30. Running, <laughs> yeah. Approaching 30, but running bands, getting calls, you know, yeah. and so now we've been through that whole process where we were, we were something back here, who knows if it wasn't great or whatever, but now we've gone through eight years of whatever, yeah. and so maybe I need to keep reminding myself that those people that even if I suck today at this jam, people see you over and over and over if you're back out. And especially if they don't see you for a year and a half and then you come back and they're like, that dude wasn't playing nothing. And now he's kind of like hacking through it pretty easy, you know, and people I think remember, I think us. Oh, yeah. say, I mean, and so it's all, it's uh, always a process and I need to keep reminding myself of that. One jam doesn't make your career. You no, know? man. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, dude, it's, it's just a jam session. The jam session, I mean, you got to remember the reason why we're even, what is a jam session? A jam session is like the part where we get to hang out and be a community. To me, it, you know, yeah, the history of being a cutting session, but like, this is more about meeting people, hanging out, and like being inspired. It's about being inspired. Yeah. It's not music is not a sport. It's mm -hmm, not a competition. Mm -hmm. Like yo, we're all on the same side. Like shoot, we're a jazz musician, so it's a small yeah. country club of guys. Right. Where it's like, why would we try to compete with each other when we really need each other's support? True. I think maybe that's a. I guess I get cultural up, thing. Yeah, I guess I get wrapped up in the getting gigs though. You know, getting your name known and them calling you and having a reputation. You know, like so. I guess yeah. I get wrapped up in that part of the competition of like eating. You know. Yeah, that, but you then know like I mean? so, you know, I mean, you can go about it two ways. I mean, like I said, when you know, with thinking about that one point that you said, like the getting gigs part, dude, I started my own band to get gigs. Yeah. So, like, you can think about it two ways of waiting for someone to call you or making it happen. 
Come on, call. Hey. Where'd they call one? Right. right. You know, or you yeah. can just be like, you proactive, know, yeah. proactive about it. So, you know, and not saying I haven't gotten gigs from jams, but, and you know, when you go to a new city, that's the best way to meet people. But. And find guys for your band. And find yeah. guys for your band. So but that's I think a good it's point. more about that's the community point, yeah. thing and less about like it being a job audition, mm. but it just being a communal thing and meeting people um, and having fun. I think that's the, the most important part. Like, have fun at a jam. Make yourself have fun. Play the tunes you know. If you don't, if so, if they're calling a whole bunch of tunes that you didn't know, then just like keep a tablet and mm-hmm. like learn those. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of standards. So like, mm-hmm. I think for the rest of your life, we're gonna constantly be learning new songs. So like, mm-hmm. to say, well, I've got it and I know them all. Dude, you can't really know them all. Right. There's some tunes yeah. that like I mean, and then there's really only like 50 tunes that everyone calls. Right. Yeah. You know they, they cycle. Yeah. You know at some point everyone might be calling Cyclic Episode and Stablemates, and then at every everyone might be calling Moments Notice or mm-hmm. um, Countdown or whatever. So you just learn them and you're like, oh cool, I like this, and then I can hang when. Yeah. You know, but the jam thing is about community to me, and it's about hanging and having a good time. Sometimes I go to a jam, I don't even want to play. I just want to be inspired. Yeah. I, I think that's inspired. a good point. I'm probably looking at it too much like a job audition and too yeah. too hyper hypersensitive on every moment too too much focusing on every moment over one this solo, oh my god, I didn't you know, and then yeah. I'm like, dude, this is one is day of, this one day of one year of one year, you know, like calm down, you know, like I probably need to do that a little bit better. Yeah, and it depends on the jam you go to. I think that's the like the other thing about it is respecting what type of jam you're at. You know, if you're at a standards jam, you gotta play standards. If we're at, you know, one of my sessions where it's fresh to death and like the number one role is no covers, no standards, mm-hmm. we're vibing, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Cause now it's if you're a horn player, it's not about how great of a soloist it is you mm-hmm. are. It's yeah. about contributing your part to the song and vibing with right. what's going on on stage because... And everybody's kind of in the same boat there. We're all just making it up and it's, yeah, yeah. And it's a different type of it. So, like, I wouldn't say the best jazz musician does the best. You think, you know, like, mm, oh, because right. this person's super proficient at jazz, yeah. they're going to kill this part of it. And it's not always the case a free because improv while, yeah. kind of moment. Yeah, they're not all the really Because great while we're improvising, you have to play a role. Yeah. And there's a lot that you have to your ear has to decipher. You know, that's why I really like playing with Lucas Parker and Jamie and Taylor Babb and that gym, you know, where there have been several times where like we're at Lucia's and Lawrence and we're playing a three hour gig and like, yo, we're just following each other. And yeah, like while things open up and we're, we solo, right? Sure, dude. I he didn't tell me what key he was in. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell me where he was mm-hmm. going. But we know, and that's the real beautiful thing. So it goes both ways, yeah. you know. Um, respecting that part of it, and they're both really beneficial. Um, you know, because once your ear deciphers what you're what you're doing in the jam situation, it's like now you can start to superimpose all the right. other things that you know. 
See, the guys that I was playing with in Wichita, they were really good at that, that free form, you know, because Fish does a lot of stuff like that. We sit on a chord and just jam it for a while, and then we move to something else just naturally. The whole, we don't say anything, and we right. just move, and they were really good at that. Maybe better than some of the jazz musicians I've seen yeah. up here, but these guys can't play Cherokee. I mean, the guys up here just destroy that kind of stuff. Yeah, but with like... lots of chords, you know, changes. I mean, It's kind of like back to that so, classical thing where it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you can improvise through this really well because you practice it, you know, what's coming mm -hmm. you know all you got your little things figured out okay so like let's take that away yeah, yeah. okay we're in B flat. where you got now yeah, what do you yeah. what do what we can you still do those same things mm -hmm. can you still make beautiful music yeah you know i mean we study the art of improvisation well now we're improvising mm -hmm. you know and i heard an interview of wayne shorter where it's like what do you do when you don't know what's coming around you're not really supposed to know what's coming around and i think we get lost in that maybe from a collegiate mentality but I think we get lost in that where it's like, I know that this change is coming around. So when it comes around, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Okay. And then when I switch it up on you as a piano player and it's not what you thought, how do you feel about it now? Mm. And I think that's the, the, I have fun playing with those guys the most. Yeah, man, I just thought of this, that like you just talked about the idea of preparing, right? That, that you're in your head, you're, okay, I know this bridge is coming or something and I'm going to do this. Well, when you're in that free form, you're 100% like reacting almost, right? You're listening and that, that's that prepare, react kind of the thing is totally different. And I think a lot of people don't, especially, I, I can say this just, you know, sorry, blue scene, but a lot of those guys, you know, don't react very well, you know, they, cause they know the 12 bar and they, they have this, this rock solid two feet on the ground. Okay. I know what these right. 12 are, you know, and they're not good at, at, you know, they're, it's all into them, you know, and they're not listening out to all these other people playing and reacting to, they, they went to this chord now I do, you know, and like, and I just thought of that just now, this idea yeah, of preparing and, and when reacting. when it comes to you blues, know. you know, you still got to stay in the realm of the genre. Sure. So it's not as free right. as, you know. So I definitely, you know, that's that's a different thing while, while you're right. But I think, like, even as jazz is like, what happens when we start to approach playing standards with that mentality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I played the melody. Okay, so, like, let's just play with each other right now. I'm right. perform. You know, like, I think that's, you know, when we listen to a lot of these recordings of our masters, I think that's why the things they're doing is so incredible. It's really a mentality on how you want to improvise mm -hmm. and how you can and the way you're, you're going about it, really. I mean, you know, it, it is a conversation. Like, I, I hate being at jams where dudes play over me like an Abersol. You know, like, yo, I'm like, I mean, I'm clearly not an Abersol. We're clearly not an Abersol. We're talking right now. Mm -hmm. This isn't a, a tape. Mm -hmm. We're reacting in real time in the moment. Like, Bitches Brew is a perfect example of that. Yeah, of the reacting, but I mean, listening kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then like, listen to someone like you know Miles Davis second quintet play some standards, or mm. you know any anyone. There's a lot of examples. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that that happen, especially you know that you know that can open up. So I think that's that's where the, the real fun is for me. Like, like I said, I'm kind of an instigator, so it's like, mm -hmm. we're going to get to the bridge and I might pedal the five for you the entire time. Yeah, right. And then me and the bass player are on that riff mm -hmm. and things start to happen or things, and it can go as far as you want. Yeah. It can stay there and we can start this side conversation while the forum's going on over mm -hmm. here or you can just continue to do what you're doing, ignoring what we're doing, which is fine. There's yeah. no right or wrong, right. but... 
what you know that is what, funny when you when you you start pedaling that five the bass player hears you he comes with you but then the horn player is like oh fuck wait wait yeah, wait, what wait, happened? wait you know yeah or some guy you know yeah. a lot of guys you know roll with it or sometimes the bass player does it first or mm -hmm. sometimes these things happen and i mean you listen to someone like Ari Honig or you listen to these other bands or you know Tavon Pinnacott and like these other dudes who you know maybe they're thinking like that all the time mm -hmm. Like all the time, like that is the essence of their improvisation is that mentality, and you're like, oh man, this is incredible. <laughs> like, oh man, you get lost. Like, yeah. Can we get lost with each other? Real it's quick? insane when you get a whole band that has that. Uh, oh, dude, like and they all go with each other in a split that fast, and they hear it, and then they just go for it, and it's something else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's not rare, but it's not usual to have all everybody able to go with you. you and know? I think the mentality, so then we're talking about like the mentality of the improviser. And I think now when you start talking about Kansas City, mm -hmm. I think we have a pretty generalized mentality as improvisers for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a lot of like us just like really owning our traditional roots maybe yeah. i don't know what the answer is yeah. but i often feel you know when we go when i go to other places and play it's it's, it's a little different mm. men mentally yeah like how you know how we come at that i it's think kansas different. city has and i've noticed this over all the genres is that we have a very traditional thing going on i mean notice a lot of jams we're playing all standards right and definitely you go over to like rock stuff and they're playing 70s tunes you know you go over to the blues and they're playing 40s muddy water you know i mean they're, they're a lot of the country you go hear a lot of johnny cash and hank williams and like i mean and which is cool i think i'm glad somewhere on earth is right. still rooted in tradition and we've not forgotten it i'm that everywhere on earth hasn't forgotten our roots you know of these giants that have come before us but that that does happen i wonder if all of New York is like that, you yeah. know, all of New York is like, no, 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 you know, it's, like, and it's not, it's I'm not generalizing, the song, yeah, but, it's but, not the know. song selection, it's how we go about playing songs, right, maybe that's another part of yeah. it, is their mentality, yeah, 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 because I mean, it, I'm, I've totally been in New York and we played on Green Dolphin, sure, yeah, yeah, but it's just I'm like, generalizing, yeah, it, maybe how we like, you know, no, but a lot of guys think about it like that, yeah, you know, and you're not wrong by saying that, but it's like, how we think about playing these songs, you know, and I mean, just being in a Antonio Sanchez clinic, he was talking about, you know, improvising. There's layers. He's a, you know, great drummer, Grammy-winning drummer, played with, you know, Herbie Danilo Perez drummer mm -hmm. at a young age for a long time. And for those of you who are, you should be familiar with Danilo Perez as a pianist. If you're not, please go check him out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was talking about, you know, the rhythm section playing as layers. I often feel like as a rhythm section in Kansas City, we neglect a lot of layers because we're so quick to fall into a nice feeling swing. Yeah, right. B okay, but then we're stuck there mm -hmm. for several choruses mm -hmm. all the time. While in like other situations, like there's layers to this. If I know I can land there, I don't have to be so quick to land there. It's gonna be there. It's yeah, gonna yeah. be there eventually. Right. Yeah, so yeah. like, let's do some other stuff before mm. we land there. Yeah. And these are the things that jam sessions that I try to like initiate or instigate or, you know, I might lay out yeah. and let it just be bass and drums 
for the saxophone solo for a while mm-hmm. or for the trumpet solo. It might just be drums. And let's let's get into these layers because, I, I mean, not only is that more fun mm-hmm. to play it like that, it, up and it I, switches yeah, it yeah. up. But then we start to fall on some things that we don't know that are coming, mm-hmm. which really push our our abilities. You know, like my whole thing about playing improvised music is to get lost in the conversation and stumble upon some stuff that I didn't know I could do. Right. That's me personally. Right. If you play with me, you've definitely felt that. Yeah, sure. And we've yeah. had that moment where, oh man, that was great. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of what's fun fun about it to me. Um. So there's there's layers to that, and I think it's because our, you know, yeah, it's great that we have a tradition, because when the tradition, the one thing I will say that is. If the, tra- if the tradition is really strong, then the potential for new music is through the roof because you have a solid foundation of where it's coming from. Yeah. So, like, in actuality, our potential for this new music or just creating great new things in today's world, mm-hmm. we don't even know. It's like, un- it's, un- it's like limitless because our, tr- our foundation and tradition is super strong. So we know the conversation and we're very familiar with its abilities. We just need to start thinking in the now. And it's not everyone. I'm right, not generalizing. Right. Yeah, I'm ge- yeah. There are a ton of great players here who do that, I, you know, that mm-hmm. I love to see. But I think as a whole in a community and, you know, the, tra- you know we, the tradition, it's like even on the business end, I think that's what, you know, switching gears and like mm-hmm. taking that to something else that's also away, you know, in our music, but away from it is like, I posed the question for Kansas City jazz scene. It's like, when are we going to stop, like, making money off the nostalgia of jazz? Like, making that the core thing that we're supporting and making money off of. Because you don't understand that it's, like, choking our scene. It's choking it's choking our music. It's cutting it off. You know, like, why are we so bent on making all this great money and making our business model off the nostalgia of jazz music? There's so much killing stuff right now. Like, the world doesn't even know that there's this renaissance of jazz going on in Kansas City where some of the world's best musicians pass through here, they live here, they are creating this incredible art, and it's going unheard because the business of jazz where we are is stuck on the nostalgia of it. The politics of it, the club owners, hmm. the, the brand of Kansas City jazz. I get corporate calls for Kansas City jazz, but it's like... One of the ladies was like, I, I don't really even know what that means, but you can just essentially just play standards. Yeah. Because no one's going to know who composed. Right. You're, no one's Medium gonna swing, know. standards. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. like, to me, I'm saying, so can I play my music? Because I live in Kansas City mm-hmm. and it was conceived here. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it must be Kansas City jazz. Can I play Project H's music? Can I play some Peter Schlam? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I play some Chris Hazleton? Yeah. Can I play some Bobby Watson? Mm-hmm. Cause like this is Kansas City jazz, like, and we should be promoting that. Right. I think that we will have a really healthy jazz scene once we take that mentality on. Yeah. Cause you can't tell me the listener don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> tough. Yeah, I don't I you don't know. have an I don't have an answer for you. You know, I mean, right. I, I don't know what the answer is for that. It's it's such a it, it's I know as all the players we it, it's sort of like a world thing where there's always more. There's always more problems than you can take on, which is which is a hard thing just as people always. Well, I think maybe that's 
a type of mentality that everybody is sort of defensive about everything where there's such this thing that we all want to make money, you know, and so we have to, we feel like we have to go into that mentality, but maybe we don't, you know. And, it's not the artist's fault. Yeah. And, I think, you know, when we, when we shift gears and we take the mentality, you know, the traditional mentality that we have, you know, we talked about it as an improviser mm -hmm. and the decisions it, it kind of leads us to take, not forces, but leads. Mm -hmm. And so we take that same mentality of tradition and we switch it over to the business aspect, you know, um, which is why I think it's so hard being an original, you know, having a band that plays original music here. You know, it now becomes that much harder to book the gig. Mm -hmm. It now becomes that much harder to play these jazz rooms because now you have to live up to what they think is Kansas City jazz, mm -hmm. which is like wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, when I go to Detroit, I don't have to live up to Detroit jazz. They're like, okay, so you're going to play what you're going to play? I mean, the reason I'm there is because I play what I play. Because if I just played Kansas City Jazz or the brand, yeah. I wouldn't even be there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't. Even, I just wouldn't even have the gig. Right. You know, so it's interesting to me because do the musicians that are killing music right now and, and do we need to die? Do we need to literally pass away for our music to be deemed as, like, Music that deserves Kansas City brand jazz, like so do we that's have that's an interesting mean? thing because that's happened to everybody. Right? <laughs> We're having I a mean, Charlie Parker festival, but right. like, okay, so to have a, a festival that celebrates new music, do we need to pass away for you to honor it? I mean, what about the guys that are living right now? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but like, it's suffocating us. Mm. If you don't realize it as a jazz musician that that mentality is suffocating you. Please wake up. Mm. Please wake up. Mm. Wake up. You want to be on tour? You want to have albums that people buy? You want to be relevant? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't want that, that's cool too. Right. But, I mean, people have, like, asked me a ton of times. It's like, when is Kansas City going to get the love that it needs? Uh, when Kansas City stops making its business about the nostalgia of jazz music. Mm. And that's from venue owners. That's from the these groups that champion Kansas City jazz? Mm. Are you championing championing all Kansas City jazz? Or are you championing what you think the brand of Kansas City jazz needs to be? I think that's a big thing. A real, I mean, because I've you know, you've been on Facebook, so it's like I'm not getting into all that, but mm. like you take a band like Marcus Lewis, big band. Mm. Yo, man. Like, we should all be behind that. And I know the artists are, mm. the musicians are. Sure. We're always at the forefront and we know what's hip. But man, he's still struggling to like make the moves that he's doing. And he is the number one supporter of the jazz scene. Not to mention, it's like, you're talking about traditional and mixing and blending. Yo, you got a, a big band that is killing swinger, you know, swing music, but also has two MCs that are playing all original music all the time and they're not playing jazz clubs, man. We play at the record bar right. and have a great turnout yeah. and it sounds good. You know, and I think that's the perfect venue for a band like that. But I don't see a lot of these jazz organizations or the jazz politics getting behind him when that's the best thing you could do. It's mm -hmm. the best thing you could do is help a guy like that. Right. Help a guy like Peter Schlamp. Help a guy like, you know, Outer Circle. I mean, Charlotte Street thought it was great. They just gave him $10,000 because his art was worth it. They're not a jazz institution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, huh? and so it goes. But I think that you know the tradition is great, y'all. Like it ain't going nowhere.
Mm-hmm. But like you got, and you know, we constantly every every magazine you know, I read, it's like, who's moving? Like, is are you gonna stay here? Or are you gonna move? Like, how often, how long can we claim Herman Mahari as a Kansas City Jazz musician? Right. You can't. He's been living in Paris for a long time mm-hmm. right now. I mean, you can't. That's but... the other thing about the, the <laughs> tradition thing that I was thinking about is that that that's always. I mean, even since like freaking 1850 you know right. people come to KC and then they go to Oregon they come to KC then they go to Santa Fe even the Oregon Trail and crap and that's right. how our jazz scene or our scene in general has been is that people like come here they learn their tradition they learn the chops and then Austin Nashville LA you know and then they go to all these other places and that that is kind of a funny thing and I don't I don't know if it's a if it's an anxiety kind of thing where like you're saying, how long can we claim him? And we're sitting here like, you know, like are people going to, you know, like, I don't know if people are people sitting here with anxiety or something, but they're all worried about that. The and, dudes that want the forward, you know, that are, that are a little bit more forward thinking for KC are obviously going to move because it's better. It's what's best for them. Oh, sure. So yeah. if you want to, and there's a lot of people who stay, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people who have been here for 20 I mean, years. And a, yeah. Everyone asked me, Every time I run into one of these members, it's like, are you going to move? Are you? And it's like, honestly, I would like to. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just a little different. I already moved here. Yeah, right. And so I see the ultimate potential here. And mm-hmm. I almost I just want to be the part of the change. Mm-hmm. You know, now my goal is to, like, be here but never really be here. Because I feel like the location is centralized. And I've had success touring. And I know what it is to, like, play how we're playing right here. Yeah. in another place and it's yeah. super potent you know so i i want to be here as long as it works for me but like you know that's why dudes move that's why right. you know they're and it's been really great decision for them as an outsider sure. looking in it's like oh man like i've seen three of people or peers move do the same thing that they're doing and watch what it's turned into and it's huge right you know, so I think that also will like if we get rid of that mentality, it's like how many out of town artists are gonna want to come and build bridges here too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like got a guy like Thundercat passing up Kansas City to go to Lawrence mm-hmm. on a Tuesday to play the Granada. Mm-hmm. He didn't even come to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. We got Jazzy's in here. He didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. It's still sold out. You know, but it's that like where would he play? He ain't playing no jazz venue. Why? They're not set up to accommodate his style yeah. of music and because right. the way that they're thinking about it. Jazz is this acoustic music that da 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 I don't even have the DIs to support two keyboards, an Ableton setup, lights, mm-hmm. sound, mics, a true sound guy with the yeah. instrument with the to move stuff out the way and set the stage up. We can't even talk about that. Right, right. <laughs> so I think it's like the mentality. Well, like the, you know? the Phoenix is a great example of that. I mean, it's set up for certain things. You know, you right. you want to try to bring an eight piece into the Phoenix. Good luck. <laughs> you know, well, the Phoenix you know, is one of those type it's of places. Just like so small and stuff. You know, but then you have other venues. Obviously, the Jam is, is enormous, right? They got a huge stage and they could deal with something. They could like do that. that. You know, or the Blue Room. Yeah, like, the Blue Rooms. You know, could the Blue handle Rooms like them. that. You know, and you know. I was having a conversation with another friend where it's like. You know, he was talking about, why would I go to these places that have cover when I can go to this other place that doesn't have cover and hear, jazz, hear the same product yeah. for free, spend the, little, the, the $5 that I do have on me. Because yeah. that's what the consumer is really right. saying. But I also told him, I go, yeah, but these other rooms shouldn't be trying to have the same product. 
Mm. What, do you think about, what do you think about cover charges in general? I think they're they're needed. You should have a cover, and five dollars in the grand scheme of we complain about five dollar cover or ten dollar cover, wah, wah, you know, and yeah. it's like, bro. But if you go to listen to music in any other city in the country, that's more like fifteen, twenty dollars. Yeah. But you're gonna and you'd be like, oh, well, I'm broke. You'll make the money to pay to see that because you know that this show is special. Yeah. You will go to Smalls or, you know, the Blue Note because you know that this show is not just something you're going to see at a place you can get in for free. Mm-hmm. So let's translate that to Kansas City. Like, yeah, Green Lady's free. That's cool. You already know what you're getting. But let's take somewhere like the Blue Room. So, like, why would I go up the street to hear the same acoustic music that I can hear for free? Well, I say to the place that's up the street, why are you even offering the same product? Mm. Why are you doing that? You should be set up to offer something else that something that only Unique. you can yeah, offer. Yeah. Why is it only acoustic music for the ninety percent of the time? Mm. You know, like why are you even doing that? You're you, you, what? Yeah, I should be able to see Christian Scott here and come in with his setup and like it goes. Mm. But you're not set up to do that. As a, as a space, as a creative space, you're not set up to do that. Right. Okay, well, like, I go to the Blue Well, and they're totally set up to do that. Right. I've been to Blue Well, and the keyboard player had a piano, he had Fender Rhodes, he had a Moog, he had another Moog, he had an Arc, right. <laughs> the drummer had a pad, right. they all had monitors, they had enough DIs, they had sound. It was still jazz. They're not, they're not thinking okay. big enough. You know, I mean, the, no. the clubs are just, they're, they're only just kind of it's very yeah, a narrow tunnel vision, yeah, yeah. tunnel vision, but I think that's also how they think about the music. You know, that comes back to that whole underlining thing of traditional. Yeah. The music is only really here, you know. Like, See, everybody's. I've had this know. theory about everybody in the world. We'll, we'll probably end with this. That I, I've had this theory that everybody thinks they're reacting. You know, and, and especially when you call them on something and they go, oh, well, I'm just doing that because, the, you know, like, for example, the club owners might say, well, the people want this. So I give it, you know, the people, they, they would argue the public wants what they want. So then I give it to them. You know, they never go proactive. And a lot of times the musicians might say that, too. Well, I'd like to do covers, but the people want to, you know, and then, you know, and like I always find that really funny that that you're talking about kind of a proactive situation where, you know, sit, kind of take it take it take this mentality and sort of the people will come kind of a thing more than reaction always because that's what I think these owners are doing is that they're just reacting to what the public wants and definitely in the non-jazz scene that runs absolutely rampant in the rock scene you know I mean everybody wants to hear Sweet Home Alabama and Mustang Sally and you know and that, that they're looking at it, they're looking at it reactive and defensive, sort of, instead of trying to go for what you want and make it happen. But, oh, well, they want this, so I've got to play my 19 covers, and like, and we've got to set the room up this way. But and we, that, you know. we have that already. That ain't never going nowhere. You're I right. think at the end of the day, the people want to hear good music. Mm. Sometimes they want to hear good music that they can recognize. Mm. Sometimes they don't. Having a balance of both is in your best interest as a venue owner or a musician. And if that wasn't true, then Fresh to Death wouldn't still be happening. Mm. Because, like, I mean, I've been doing it for, like, three years now to where, like, we started and it wasn't really, like, happening. But 
I can't tell you how many, you know, rocking with that idea and staying true to that. It's like how many people want to come back or how many people tell me like, man, this is the only place where I can come and hear something like this. This is really cool. I've never, and they, they want to hear it more. They mm -hmm. want to come back. They're there. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. them pass up a jazz club, pay a cover to hear what we're doing. Right. Like, we had a great turnout last time, you know, where people were, like, musicians, a musician came up to me and was like, man, I needed to hear that. That was very uplifting. He had never heard that before. And so I think that the people want to hear that. Um, club owners don't realize that, but I mean, maybe you should crunch your numbers and really see if what you're doing is really working for you. Right. You know, try it out. Take some chances. We're in a transitional period right now. Like, you can't tell me it doesn't work because the people want to hear good music. And then you got to think about how Kansas City's anticipating its growth. Like, what kind of what kind of um, people are they trying to attract to the metro? Yeah. You think those people, how do you think, and where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. They're coming from other cities. Mm -hmm. What do you think they want to hear? They already know that this is a jazz town, so they're gonna. They just want to hear music. Right. So, like, how do you think that? What do you think they want to hear? Are you catering to them? Are you anticipating that? Mm. You know, because I mean, they're successful. You know, the, the people want to hear mm. good music. Sometimes that's covers. Sometimes that's standards. Sometimes that's not. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, they don't really care. They don't really care. They want to be moved and they want to have a good time in a place with a vibe. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been to several other cities. We've all been to several other cities and other countries in the world where, like, you've been a part of that. And you're like, oh, man, this is really cool. I've never heard this. Mm -hmm. And if that's, you know. Some of these cities, like, I mean, I, I don't know anything about Cincinnati, but I, I got to believe that what we got here, they don't have in Cincinnati, you know. And there's some, some of those no. random hundred or million five kind of cities around, around the country don't have what we have here. No, and, they don't. And, like... It's got to be a sticking point. We gotta gotta do what we can to keep it and do and do all yeah, the stuff yeah. that you're talking about about having a different mentality. Who we're looking for, you know, right. what what kind of clubs we want to make, what kind, you know, have some some sort of vision, you know. But uh, you know, I think that's why like a place that has the ability to have a improvised product for no cover is winning opposed to the places that has the same improvised product with cover. Mm -hmm. You guys have the same product, often with the same people. So it's a no-brainer as a consumer. Right. I'm going to go to the place that I can spend $5 on myself, right. the last $5 that I have yeah. on myself. But then if you switch that up, then when you do have more than $5, you're going to go to the place where you can really get a true experience if that place exists. That's my theory. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I'm weird. That's my theory yeah. as a performer. Because yeah. we were in Detroit, and Detroit's economy isn't all that great compared to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. uh, it was packed. Yeah. And the club across the street had a line wrapped around yeah. the block for something else. Right. And our club was still packed, yeah. which was incredible to see. That's Crazy, yeah. Like, I mean, like, the line bled over to where we were, and that was for a completely different show. Mm -hmm. And we walked into our venue, and it was still happening. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and, you know, you know. I, I wish that was here. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't yeah. see that very much. You know? Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. So it was just interesting to see. Yeah, that's cool. Um, 
Last quick thing, uh, plug your plug your stuff again. What you what you got? Okay, um, we have our next Fresh to Death, July fifth. Um, I just found out the feature will be um, a great vocalist, R and B guy. His name's Tevin Williams. Uh, I ran into this vocalist at like a tiny house session. He's incredible. Can't wait to collab with him. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a jam afterward. So we're doing that. I think doors open at eight. We have tons of music. Well, a couple new tunes out online. Um, Catch Bando by We the People. Mm. On Spotify or iTunes, um, Outer Circle also has a new song out called 007, which was nominated for um, an Independent Music Award, and that's mm. also out on Spotify and Apple. Um, add that to your playlist. We're just asking you to listen to the music, man. You ain't mm. even got to buy it. Just yeah. listen to it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Um, they both have really good uplifting messages. So Cool, man. You can catch us anywhere, really. So. Yeah. That's cool, man. Well, thanks a lot for coming and uh, coming and talking. This uh, show has been real fun. I'm glad people are, you know, listening to some stuff, and it, it's been really great for me to talk to people like yourself. You yeah, know, man, have some, uh, yeah, no problem. Have some good insight on what's going on in town, and some good advice for younger musicians, you know, that are coming up. Because all of us, all of us, like our ish age, you know, just went through that. All these twenty to twenty five year olds that are right. getting in the scene. So I'm hoping to, you know, share share some stuff that we've learned with them but um uh any more thanks man, man thank you Rob. yeah 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 for sure we'll be uh we'll be back next time talking about more more stuff so uh you guys uh you guys take it easy get out of here